0: Let's pray. Lord, thanks for your goodness, and thanks for uh, just your word, so fresh, so uh, alive, so relevant, so timeless. Lord, let us capture all that tonight, please, for your glory in Jesus' name, amen. So 1 Corinthians chapter 3, tonight, 3 and 4, Lord willing. Um, these chapters, I'm kind of, um, you know, sometimes I, one of the things I like about Wednesday nights, um, just the way we kind of sort of overview all of this, um, I like where the Lord always seems, this is never planned or intentional, like, You know, because we go chapter by chapter, verse by verse, the Lord kind of knows where we're going to be at certain times, and it's always just kind of interesting, you know. You don't want to build a doctrine on it or anything, but you know what I mean. Um, You know what I mean, right? Yeah, good. Um, But these last, at least, you know, these, while Nate's been gone and I've been kind of mulling through some of this stuff, these... um, You know, the end of uh, Romans and the beginning of 1 Corinthians I think speaks to us as a body uh, really in a lot of ways for such a time as this that our body is what it is. Because, you know, church bodies go through phases, right? And uh, families go through phases, communities go through phases, all that. And, you know, right now our church body is in a phase where kind of a lot of people from different backgrounds and different uh, bents and maybe even different convictions and different styles and different this and different that are kind of coming together. And frankly, let me just say, first of all, coming together, I think, in a way that's super encouraging and gives glory to God. And so I thank you you for your part in that. Um, But it's interesting, sort of that, you know, I was talking um, with Mary earlier, um, you know, I like, you know, the end of First Corinthians, the end of Romans, you know, basically the take-home message is, "Get along." <laughs> First Corinthians is, "Get along." right? And it's kind of like that's kind of where it has us. And, and you know there's some nuances to that. And, um, and we all need that a little bit. That doesn't single anybody out. But um, there's, just a, there's just a richness in that. And so um, what I'm going to share tonight is nothing doctrinally enlightening. Fair enough? Nobody's shocked by any of that, what I just said? Just kind of waiting for the shoe to drop there. Nothing nothing overly enlightening as much as just, you know, so much of the scriptures we just kind of bathe in what we know, right? And we're reminded of what we know. And there's just so much richness in that. So uh, I, for one, just love it. So anyway, ready? Corinth, um, we showed up on a picture uh, last week, uh, is in the Grecian Peninsula. Um, It's an um, area of an isthmus, I believe about four miles wide, that separates, um, I forget, the Aegean Sea from the sea on the other side, okay? I mean, you got to, some people pay extra for this kind of information. But the GNC from the sea on the other side. And, and huh? Adriatic. 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 Mike paid extra. Um, and we just scooped his information, so it was good. Um, but it was a major trade route, right? And if you were uh, traveling by, by ship or, you know, you know, you were sending your wares by ship, it was much more efficient to... kind of travel across and they would actually, the way I understand it, historians would say, they take your boat and put it up on wheels and and it's easier to wheel that boat across the isthmus um, for four miles than it was to go all the way down around the bottom of the Grecian Peninsula and so it became a major trade route. Well with major trade routes becomes major commerce, major prosperity, and with that so often happens a lot of debauchery, right? And so um, Corinth was a very wicked city. And so Paul spent, as, as of the time Paul sent, spent there, or when he was there, he spent 18 months on his second missionary journey. At that, as of that time, it was the longest he'd stayed in any one place. It's kind of interesting. I always think about this as a pastor, okay? Paul spends 18 months in Corinth, right? Plowing, sowing, Teaching, giving him all of his wisdom, and we know what the Church of Corinth was like. Paul spent three weeks in Thessalonica. We know what the Church in Thessalonica was like, right? Waiting. I mean, they had their issues, but right, which one was healthier? Thessalonica, right? Way healthier, right? So it's not always all about the pastor, right? That's the point in that. That's that's my. That's just for me, right? But anyway, um, but this church was unhealthy. And so by the time Paul gets word of it, he's on his third missionary journey. Uh, he uh, gets word of it, and he's kind of addressing some of these things. And, and so the point in all that is, is a lot of what had happened was the, the world, the culture, had negatively impacted the church, Okay, now we talk about this all the time. We have the church in our day. We have the church and we have our culture, right? Ideally, we want our church to impact our culture, right? We don't want our culture to negatively impact the church. And so there's some things we need to do to, frankly, uh, shore up to make sure that doesn't happen and make sure rather we... Uh, positively influence the 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 world and if we uh, if we're going to do that and do it effectively we need to do it uh, according to these principles and so that's a lot of what he's kind of laying out for us here all right so we start with the problems first chapter three verse one he said and i brethren could not speak to you as spiritual people but as to carnal as to babes in christ now I might have misled a little bit because I brushed over this at the end of last week. So I want to kind of go back and clarify this a little bit. But if you look back at chapter 2, verse 14, he says, But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual... Judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. And so, at the end of chapter 2, Paul is describing the natural man and the spiritual man. Okay? Everybody with me on that? The natural man doesn't understand the things of God because they're spiritually discerned. We would call that person unsaved, lost, right? Whatever you want to, however you want to describe that. We call that the unsaved person. The spiritual person we'd call saved spiritually discerning, all of that, right? Paul's introducing a third sort of adjective now, the carnal man. He says, but I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. Now, theologians love to break this down a little bit, and uh, so I'll tell you where I'm at on this, uh, even though I'm not a theologian. I believe this is a third uh, description of a human being. I believe this is a Christian, okay? A couple reasons. Number one, he says he calls them brethren, okay? Basically, you guys aren't spiritual people. You're carnal brethren, right? Brethren implies fellow Christians. Fair enough? That's number one. Number two, babes in what? Christ. In Christ would imply Christian, right? So, there are some that would say, there's no such thing as a carnal Christian. I asked a friend of mine this one time, who's way smarter than I am. I said, do you think there's such a thing as a carnal Christian? He said, if there wasn't, why was the entire book of Corinthians written? First Corinthians, right? It was written to the carnal Christian, right? And to, uh, the carnal, and to the problems that come with carnality as Christians. So, there's the natural man, unsaved, right? There's the Christian And of the Christian, I believe personally, based on these, and we'll read about a little bit more, we'll have some more support of this idea here in a minute. Of Christians, there's the carnal and the spiritual. Fair enough? Now, if you'll not break me apart theologically on that one and and accept it, which I always want to just say, okay, so what's the lesson, right? What What does God have for me in this? And the lesson is... Is it possible to be a carnal babe in Christ as opposed to a spiritual man? Mature, right? Is that possible? Yeah. Now, I've got grandkids, right? I was thinking about beforehand having each of them come up here and giving you a little demo, but that would be too distracting because they're so cute. But, um, you know, there's an age when they kind of uh, wear diapers, and do stuff in diapers, right? And you say, aw, bless their heart, that's so cute, right? Or they scream and scream and carry on and cry like a baby when they're hungry, right? And we say, aw, that's so cute, right? Well then, like, they get a little older. It's not quite as cute, right? And like, you know, Mary and Rye over here, right? Joy and Malachi and Titus. They kick and scream and cry when they're hungry. It's not cute at all. Right? It's not cute. Nate kicks and screams when he's hungry. It's not cute at all. All right? Sam? Where's Sam? Sam's back there. Sam's hiding behind the pole, right? Do you want to be called out? (laughs) Huh? Yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) All right. He says, I couldn't talk to you like spiritual people. Isn't that sad? Paul says, I couldn't talk to you guys like mature people. I can't really even give you any meat. I mean, if if you gave a little one-year-old granddaughter a steak, that wouldn't be pretty either. Right? He says, I couldn't speak to you like spiritual people but I had to speak to you like carnal people. It's all you can handle because you're babes in Christ. That's sad. He said, I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you weren't able to receive it. And even now you're still not able, for you're still carnal. So what is it about them that's so carnal? Catch this. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? You catch this, how he's flipping this on, flipping this on his head, because so often, you know, the Christian that says, oh, I'm of Apollos, right? Well, the Christian that says, I'm of Apollos, is of Apollos because Um, they might have some great insight that they think from Apollo. So there might be some higher level of insight or understanding or maturity or whatever like that. Paul says, you know what, that just qualifies you to be a milk drinker. Or one says, you know, I'm, I'm a follower of Paul, right? These are divisions. These are things that cause envy, strife, and divisions. And those are what Paul uses as the definition of carnal. And I think, this is, I think this is maybe helpful for us because sometimes we might think of like, um, you know, there's a list in Galatians 5 about the works of the flesh are evident, right? Uh, you know, drunkenness and carousing and uh, adultery and, you know, stuff that we think of as the biggies. But when Paul describes a carnal Christian that cannot handle the meat of, of a mature Christian, he's not talking about any of those things. He's talking about divisions within the body. And so to me, it's very convicting that we need to function as the body of Christ. And again, I, I, I appreciate what the Lord has for us in these last several chapters because it seems to be a bit of a recurring theme. And I appreciate where we are as a body. Because I, I believe honestly that, um, that our body functions like a body. And I, I think it just honors the Lord tremendously. Um, who then is Paul? And who is Apollos, but ministers through whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one? I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then, neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now, he who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. So, you know, one guy plants, one guy waters, one person comes by and, you know, tills the ground, one person weeds. But God causes the growth, right? And so I love the, you know, the, the, the sort of gardening analogy, if you will, right? There's tons of gardening analogy uh, in the Scripture, right? The soil needs to be healthy, uh, not too rocky, not too thorny, not too hard, right? And the seed needs to be good. By the way, what's the seed? The Word of God. Catch this? This is the parable of the sower. The seed is the Word of God, right? So if I hold up a little sunflower seed, it contains all the DNA that is required to be a six-foot-tall sunflower plant. It's all about the conditions and the faithfulness of the sower and the waterer and the sunlight and the preparation of the soil and all of those things. There's nothing wrong with, or inadequate with the seed. By the way, the seed doesn't need to be modified. The seed doesn't need to be tweaked. The seed doesn't need to be messed with. The seed doesn't need to be made culturally relevant. The seed doesn't need to be made politically correct. The seed doesn't need to be anything except what it is. And such is the Word of God. It doesn't need to be tweaked, right? And so he, he carries this out. You know what? I'm, I'm just a guy that planted the Word on my second missionary journey. Apollos came up, came by behind me, he watered the word, right? But God does the growth. God does the growth. And then that puts the minister in proper perspective too. And we're all, did I mention that we're all ministers? Did I do that? Did I mention that? We're all ministers. And so it puts the minister in the proper perspective, Right? How many times have I seen people get weird because I think because I'm a minister or even if I'm a lay minister or if I'm somehow uh, used by the Lord in your life, that makes me something, right? We have to stay far, as far away from that nonsense as we can, right? Because we're all going to be, we all have the capacity to be used by God. And we're all used by God for his glory and nobody else's. God said, I believe, twice in the book of Isaiah, I will not share my glory with another. God takes that very seriously. And if I start to sit up here and, you know, act like, you know, I'm irreplaceable, right? You need me, I'm your man, I'm holding this. Th- church together I'm you know I mean it sounds even weird just to me to say it like that right if I start any of that if any of us ever start any of that you can count on the blessing faucet just being turned off right and maybe a little discipline faucet turned on right so verse 9 for we are God's fellow workers you are God's field you are God's building according to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder. I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And so he moves from this sort of the gardening metaphor to the building metaphor. Right. And, uh, you know, we you know, you build a house. Starting with a foundation. Right. And the foundation is what supports the rest of the entire thing, right? And what is our foundation? Jesus Christ. Okay? Not me. Not good works. Well, we're that church that does this, right? And even if you... And, and can I just, like, uh, sidetrack for one second. I hope you love this church, right? Right? I talked to some of you. I talked to a couple people this week. They're just trying to encourage me. I love this church, right? I'm glad you love this church. I hope you love this church. I hope so much you love this church that you invite your friends to this church. Here's what I don't want you to do. When your friends ask you about your faith, I don't want you to say, well, I've got an awesome church. Right? I don't want you to say, oh, man, there's the sweetest group of people there, which there is, right? And I hope it's an awesome church, right? I don't want you to talk about that, right? So often we do. You know, we might want to brand the church so we can sell the church. We might want to brand kind of our niche in the body of Christ so we can sell that niche in the body of Christ right somebody asks you about your faith i hope you tell them about jesus and i hope you talk about jesus like a you know like you can't stop talking about him right like like it's obvious and then if that person says so where do you fellowship with other people that love jesus as much as you do oh you mean my church Oh, yeah, it's that one, right? Who do you fellowship with? Oh, yeah, other people that love Jesus, just like I do, right? It's subtle, but it's real. It's real. We're not, this foundation is not this church. The foundation is not me teaching. The foundation is not anything else except Jesus Christ. Now, is it okay to build on that? You bet it is. And what kind of stuff do we build on that? he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved so as yet through, yet so as through the fire. Now, this is a theological handful, okay? But that's good, we'll work through it, all right? So, Jesus is our foundation, right? And we build on that foundation, right? And we build on that with certain building materials, just like you'd use building materials at home, right? Well, so imagine this, I mean, you know, if you ever read The Three Little Pigs, right? Right? You know, one guy builds on the house with hay, all right? One guy builds on the house with um, straw. There's a difference between hay and straw, apparently, Scripture points it out. One guy builds with wood. Another guy builds with gold, silver, precious stones, and then somehow in, uh, in the evaluation and the judgment of these things, it's tested by what? Fire. You ever seen hay and fire? How long does that last? Not very, right? Gold and fire, it'll melt, but it, it really, if anything, it purifies it, right? Silver, precious stones, you know, those things are purified, but they're not removed. Right, wood, hay, and stubble, wood, hay, and straw—they're burned up, right? And so, each of us, uh, the way this plays out, somehow, all of our works that we do in our ministries throughout our lives are sort of building on the foundation of Jesus, and in uh, not in our salvation judgment. But, in our, but there's a separate works judgment that we'll all go through, right? A rewards judgment. And as we all go through that rewards judgment, those things that we've done to build on the foundation of Jesus will be evaluated. They're going to be evaluated by fire. And those things that remain will be rewarded for. Fair enough? Now, notice the guy that builds with an l- entire life of wood, hay, and straw. Okay? If anyone's work is burned, verse 15, he will suffer loss. That means what you built is going to not survive the reward judgment. But he himself will be saved. So we're not talking about salvation, we're talking about heavenly rewards. Okay? Fair enough? And so that's another reason why I think this carnal Christian is a separate type of Christian, and yet he's a Christian, but he's not a Christian that's building with the, with the right materials in his life, in his ministry, in his life. He's just going through life either living for himself or whatever, but living a life that doesn't build on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? The guy that builds with wood, hay, and straw is a Christian, but his reward judgment gets burned up. The guy that builds a life of gold, silver, precious stones is a Christian, and he receives a reward in heaven as uh, a reward somehow for for his life work. Somehow in heaven, you know, I want to be careful not to speculate about heaven beyond what the scripture has to say. Right? Uh, but we have this verse, we have these verses, others in Revelation and elsewhere. Um, but somehow, let's say you're a person that uh, is in heaven, but you didn't get the rewards. Are you going to be like bummed out and crying about it? No. There'd be no tears in heaven. Right? So somehow, the rewarded person will be rewarded, but somehow I think the unrewarded person is just gonna be ecstatic that they're in heaven, right? And it'll all be good and we don't need to worry about it. But here's what we do need to, here's what we do need to not worry about but focus on. I want my life on this earth for the number of days I breathe to matter. I want them to matter. I want them to count for the kingdom. I want to build a solid structure on the foundation of Jesus Christ. I don't want to build on my own fun or entertainment or fulfillment of my flesh. I want to build something that matters, right? And that's why we're here. We want to build something that matters, right? Now, that's different for you than for me, than for the next person. And that's a beautiful thing in itself, right? And so we all have our thing, and we all have our peace to play in the body of Christ. And it's a beautiful opportunity that the Lord uh, gives to us. He says, Do you not know that you are the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy which temple you are. So along the way, keep in mind the significance that we are the home of the Holy Spirit. And so we need to build good works on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God, for it is written, he catches the wise in their own craftiness, and again the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. Therefore, let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come are all yours. All are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. So he closes out. Really, this is, in a sense, a review of chapters 1 and 2 we talked about last week, right? The wisdom of this world is foolishness to God. And so uh, he closes out by saying, just faithfully do your, do your ministry. Just do your ministry faithfully. Don't deceive yourself into thinking you're something that you're not. Uh, the wisdom of the world is foolishness with God. Don't fall for the wisdom. Don't fall for the tricks of the world. And then I love how he transitions verse chapter four. Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. You know, we are stewards. What is a steward? Especially in the biblical context, you need to think about this. A steward was a person who was who was entrusted with some great riches or worked for some rich person, right? It's almost like you're the guy that drives the Brinks truck, right? And you're the guy that is entrusted to live out your life, uh, almost like you're carrying some great treasure throughout your life, and the question is, what are you doing with it, right? What's the great treasure we carry? It's the mysteries of God. So let us consider, let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. The mysteries of God are a great treasure. Take that in for a minute, right? The world has what it calls wisdom, right? We have the mysteries of God that are infinitely wiser and more valuable than the treasures that the world calls wisdom. And so we have that at our disposal. What are we doing with it? Right? Because we're a steward of it. We're a steward of it. What do we do with that? We're a steward of that. And I love this. If you've heard me talk for any period of time, this has got to be one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. Moreover, It is required in stewards that one be found faithful. Why do I love this verse? Because it doesn't say, Moreover, it's required in stewards that one be found famous, gifted, successful, or anything else. Because if I said famous, you'd think, oh man, I guess I'm not famous. Or if I said, Moreover, it's required in stewards that one be found super intelligent. You may feel like, eh, I guess that's not me. Moreover, it's required in stewards that want to be found successful. Well, I'm trying, but it just doesn't work out like I thought it would. Right? What's required of you as a steward of the mystery of God? Faithfulness. Faithfulness. Now, I could try for success. I could try for whatever. And I could, uh, if it all goes well, I hope that it'll work out and that, you know, I can say that's what I was. Because in reality, we all strive for some measure of success as we define it. But even as we do that, God would tell us, really what's required is to be faithful. Faithful. Just keep building with gold, silver, and precious stones on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Even if it seems like a very small piece of silver and a very small piece of gold and a very small, you know, precious stone, keep building one step at a time over the course of your life as God would determine, and that's called faithfulness. And let God just like Paul, just like Paul watered and, Apollos, and Paul planted and Apollos watered, but it was God that caused the growth. Let God bring whatever He defines as success. Let God bring whatever He defines as growth or as results, or anything like that. Our job is to plant, to water, to do those kinds of things, and to do them faithfully. Yeah. Our job is to not make a plant grow. Our job is to plant, water, cultivate whatever God has for us, right? And it's a beautiful thing because what's that do? It takes responsibility off of us, yeah. right? I love, you know, that I, my job here is pretty much to teach the Word and to try to encourage you all. Yeah. My job is not for you to be awesome Christians, Right? Thank God. Imagine if that was my job, right? (laughs) Okay, my kids, that is my job. But you guys, no, it's not my job. My job is not to make you awesome Christians. Now, just think about this for a second. Because as ministers, we get this mixed up, right? Because if I give what I think is some awesome teaching then you should give some awesome response to that teaching, right? How does it play out in the parable of the sower? A fourth of them respond. A fourth of them say, that was lame. A fourth of them say, yeah, that was awesome, but then you never see him again. And a fourth of them say, yeah, that was awesome, but I'm too busy making money. Right, We're not responsible for the results. We're responsible for the sowing. Moreover, it's required in stewards. Stewards of this mystery of God. The mystery of God. This treasure that we hold. Stewards required to be faithful at it. Not successful. Not results oriented. Faithful takes all the pressure off of us. We just do our job. Let God deal with the results. But but with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I know of nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this. But he who judges me is the Lord. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. Then each one's praise will come from God. So speaking of the response, you know, um, Paul, got, Paul all the time got flack from, and criticism from this church or other people that kind of were creeping into this church. And again, by the way, thank, thank you for not doing that here. But Paul knew that he was accountable to God, not to man. And he wasn't even accountable to, you know, uh, to any court but accountable to God. Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively transferred to myself and Apollos for your sakes, that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up on behalf of one against another. For who makes you differ from one another? And what do you have that you did not receive? Now if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? Here's the problem we start worrying about results rather than faithfulness. We start measuring success. What happens the minute I start measuring my success? What's the very next thing I'm going to do? I'm going to compare it with your success. And next thing you know, we got weirdness. As soon as I start looking at my success, my results, my this, my that, then I'm starting to evaluate myself in terms of how successful I am compared to you and how successful you are compared to me. And next thing you know, we are puffed up on behalf of one against the other. And therefore, bring on the divisions. Right? Interestingly, this word puffed up, the Greek word puffed up here, is used, I've made a note of it, is used seven times in the New Testament. Six of them are in the book of First Corinthians. Right? This church is puffed up because they're looking to themselves, they're looking to results, they're looking to everything except just faithfulness to, to minister to the Lord. You are already full. You are already rich. Paul's getting sarcastic now. You've reigned as kings without us, and indeed I could wish you did reign, that we also might reign with you. So, you know, his divine sarcasm is that the Corinthians have it all together, but, you know, Paul's just being humble. For I think that God has displayed us, the apostles, last as men condemned to death. For we have been made a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are dishonored. And so, um, again, he's, he's humbled, uh, but they're, he's kind of mocking their arrogance. To the present hour... We both hunger and thirst, and we are poorly clothed and beaten and homeless, and we labor working with our own hands, being reviled, we blessed, being persecuted, we endure, being defamed, we entreat, we have been made as the filth of the world, the off-scouring of all things until now. Now, I just have to say this because it's here. Was Paul a pretty cool Christian? Yes. As far as Christians go? Yes. He's all right. Like, was he a spiritual man or a carnal man? Spiritual man, right? We, you know, he just told us not to care about this, but we would even call him successful by any measure, right? We would definitely call him faithful, right? Would we call him blessed? Is that fair? Blessed. Well, what's up that he's got problems? Because blessed people don't have problems or challenges, right? Right? See my point, right? Again, we're conditioned by our culture a little bit that if you're blessed and if you're doing everything right, everybody's going to love you. Everybody's going to think you're awesome. Everybody's going to say thanks. You're going to, you know, stumble across more money all the time. Everything's just going to, you know, your lights will never go out. Everything's just awesome, right? We know that's not the case, but just remember that, please. Look at this. Paul is not afraid to face the challenges of this life. To this present hour, even now, we both hunger and thirst. We're poorly clothed. We're beaten. We're homeless. But that's blessed. We labor, working with our own hands. We are reviled. We're persecuted but we endure, we're defamed, right? Paul went through a lot. And so just because we're doing the right thing or do, just because we're being faithful does not exempt us from that. So please keep that in mind. He said, I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you. For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet, even, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you, imitate me. For this reason, I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere and in every church. Now, I like this. Again, he says, For though you might have 10,000 instructors, you do not have many fathers. You know, or think of the father uh, figure here as a mentor. Again, You know, just in the same way, you know, we don't have to be um, successful as much as faithful. We don't have to be some great teacher. Sometimes when I say we're all ministers, sometimes I know there are some people that might say, well, that feels kind of intimidating because I don't, uh, and I've had people tell me this, I don't feel like I, you know, would know the right words to say. Or I don't know the, you know, the four spiritual laws, or I don't know the Romans road, or I don't know the right answers in case they hit me with some kind of hard theological question. Right? What's this world need? Mentors, fathers, mothers, big sisters, big brothers, right? People that know the word, ideally, but not necessarily have all the answers. You know, there are some hard questions that don't have good biblical answers. That's okay, right? Job spent whatever, you know, 30 some chapters. Asking why, why, why. Boy, if I had a chance to talk to God, I'd sure give him a piece of my mind. Blah, 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 blah. God re- reveals himself, never answers one of Job's questions. Not one. But when God reveals himself and says, okay, now, Job, what was, your, what was that question you had for me? Yeah. Job's like, never mind. I'm good. Yeah. Right? Okay. And so you don't have to have all the answers, no. you just have to know the Lord. Right? And you have to live accordingly. And you have to be faithful ministers of the mysteries, the stewardship of the treasure of the mysteries of God. And the world is desperately hungry for that. I think I mentioned on Sunday. Forgive me if I'm redundant. If you don't like me being redundant, you've been here too long. (laughs) But in that Jesus Revolution movie, there's a line where uh, Lonnie Frisbee, uh, speaking on behalf of all the hippies, tells Chuck Smith, he says, our people are desperate. Did I say this on Sunday? See? We are all desperate. In those days, yeah, the hippies were messed up. They were searching. No doubt about it, right? Right? They were just, the only problem in that society was they were so obviously messed up that the, all the straight-laced people didn't realize they were messed up, right? In our day, we're all messed up outside of Jesus Christ. And it spans the demographics big time, like never before in my mind. I mean, I, I'm intrigued by social trends. I'm always reading and evaluating and looking at social trends and all that kind of stuff. This world is a mess. Yeah. And what's fascinating to me is deep down, they know they're a mess. You can talk to the most secular person imaginable. And I, I hear it all the time. They say, you know, they know, I'm a, they know I'm a Christian. They'll say, do you think the end is near? <laughs> right? Some completely, uh, people don't have a Christian bone in their body. You think God's coming back? Right? What do they want? They want answers. Doesn't have to be all the right theology. Doesn't You know, just, just, just come alongside people. Paul says you can have 10,000 teachers, 10,000 podcasters. But one mentor is worth more than 10,000 podcasters. Verse 18, now some are puffed up. That's probably the second of the six times in this book. As though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you shortly if the Lord wills. And I will know, not the word of those who are puffed up, but the power. For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. What do you want? Shall I... Come with a rod or in love and a spirit of gentleness. So Paul's, you know, not afraid to bring accountability. And sometimes discipline needs to happen. And that's okay. But it's better if it doesn't. Right? So, great beginning of this book. Avoid selfish disputes. Thank you for avoiding selfish disputes. Recognize that selfish disputes are really... The Bible, the, the, the litmus test, biblically, of a carnal Christian. Build on Jesus, the foundation of Jesus and nothing else. Build with good materials from pure motives. Stay humble. Stay faithful. We have a treasure that has been entrusted to us. A treasure like no other that has been entrusted to us. You know, if, if you brought in some, I don't know, billion-dollar chunk of gold, right? And you told me to take, hey, can you take this home for me? Can you deliver this to my whatever? Can you take this home and store it for me for a couple of days while I get it squirt while I get ready to take it to the bank, right? If you told me to do that, how would I Handle that thing very carefully, intentionally, right? I keep my eye on it. I'd be, a, I'd be in tune to it. I wouldn't be ignoring it, right? We've been entrusted with a very great treasure. Let's pray. Lord, thanks that you're so good to us. Lord, thanks that you would entrust anything to us much less such a treasure of the gospel, of your word, of just the presence of the Holy Spirit. Lord, so, so much richness you've given us. And uh, Lord, help us just to be faithful. Help us to spend our lives intentionally building with, with gold, silver, precious stones. Not even so much so we'll get some reward, but because we want to build, we want to build something for you that will last and that will bring glory to you. Something that will survive the fire. And Lord, we thank you that the pressure's not on us to perform or to bring about success or results or anything else, but. Uh, Lord, just the, the call to faithfulness. Help us to be those people, Lord. Help us to be those people that would live lives faithfully, building on the foundation of Jesus Christ, that would bring glory and honor to you. In Jesus' name, amen.